state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Wilson in the backfield with Cephas Johnson. Now they go empty. Back to throw as Johnson has some time. Steps throws. Pass intercepted. Picked off by Eric Lee. 15, 10, Lee 5. Touchdown, Nebraska. It's a pick six by Eric Lee. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Ward. We are fired up to watch some playoff baseball tonight. The Brewers and the Nationals in the National League wildcard game. It's October 1st. Why not, right? Yeah, it is actually October, which means playoff baseball, even though perhaps the greatest postseason baseball game ever played happened in September. September. Yeah. The wild card game in 14, but still. Did, did uh, A little birdie told me you made it to Kansas City Sunday. Yeah, figured I'd take it. I hadn't been to the K yet this year. So I went down, saw Ned Yo's final game, maybe Alex Gordon's final game. And that was one of the reasons I was hoping to make it down was – I, I went to Alex's first game, opening day in 2007, and the big you know, he comes up, bases loaded against Kurt Schilling, big roar of the crowd, and then he ends up striking out and ends up not getting to hit his first two games. So I wanted to be there Sunday just in case it was the last one. I don't think it's the last one for him, but just in case. Well, it was a, a good finish for the Royals to win that. But tonight, uh, the NL wild card begins. We're going to we'll monitor that game throughout the program tonight. Our top ten list deals with the baseball playoffs. And if you go clear back to late March, as a, the Sports Nightly crew, we all picked our division winners. Do you remember doing this? Uh, I'm sure I did. I okay. don't remember what I what right. I sent in. We're gonna re, we're gonna. Re, Hit your memory button because uh, yeah. Austin's got it all detailed back there. Oh boy. We will show off how we did way back in March. How did we do with our picks for uh, the baseball playoffs? We'll get into that uh, coming up in the third hour of the program. Huskers did practice today. Uh, Eric Chenander met with the media after practice. We will have a JTEC practice report coming up here in a couple of minutes and hear from the Husker defensive coordinator. Normally on Tuesday nights, we hear from John Cook. But the Huskers took off a couple of hours ago for Piscataway, lovely Piscataway, New Jersey. They'll play <laughs> Rutgers tomorrow night. I had a chance to catch up with the head coach before they left town. So no full show from Coach Cook, but we will hear uh, his thoughts about their opening weekend in conference play, which picked up two road wins at Illinois, at Northwestern, and then a road, win tomorrow, a road game tomorrow night. Should be a win. <laughs> Maybe that was a, a Freudian slip there. But – how about that? They're going to have three road matches out of the way before they have a home conference match. And they were kind of tested in the two road matches last weekend. The Illinois match, of course, great familiarity between those two staffs. They go five sets with the Fighting Illini. Had some travel issues Friday night. Couldn't get out of Champaign until Saturday. Had to wait in Champaign and, until Saturday to go up to Evanston. And even though they swept Northwestern that last set, uh, I think was a little dicey, thirty twenty eight mm-hmm. or something like that. So sure was they, they were they were pushed and challenged at least a little by Northwestern, and of course Illinois gave them all they want. Wisconsin will be the first home match in league play. That will be Saturday night at seven o'clock. I know it comes right on the heels of the football game, but I'm sure the Husker volleyball fans will make their way and get over to the Devaney Center for first serve of that. They couldn't move the time. Because of television. Television had locked in a 7 o'clock start, so the Huskers weren't able to move move that back. They would have liked to have moved it back maybe even to 8 o'clock just to let the football crowd clear out, clear the streets a little bit. But 
they're stuck with that. But we'll hear from the coach coming up in hour number two. Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald, he will join us as well. Give us his thoughts about Husker football. Where is this thing at now at three and two after the loss to Ohio State? We have not had you on, Nate, since the conclusion of the Buckeye game Saturday night. What were some thoughts that you've had since the end of that game? My God, those guys are talented. <laughs> that, that, that's really where it starts. Is You just look 1 through 22, 1 through 85, 1 through 100 or whatever. That whole roster is just stacked, stacked, stacked with talent. Coming into the year, I was thinking, hoping that maybe there would be a hiccup because those things happen uh, in coaching changes, even if there's a bunch of talent on the roster. You know, the the ways of communicating plays and, and what, what you're going to do with timeouts, substitutions, that sort of thing. You're kind of working all that stuff out on the fly in a sense. And none of that is an issue for Ohio State. And the talent is just so overwhelming on that team. And they feel hungry. Like, I, I think they're a little bothered by the fact that their their uninspiring finish to last year when Nebraska pushed them, when Maryland pushed them. They eked out that win against Maryland. I, I don't know if the Urban Meyer thing was a distraction, whatever, but something was holding that group back last year, and that's not now. Uh, they're locked in. They're focused. That program is, is really at the height of its powers and just shows how much work Nebraska has to do when – and even if Nebraska had played a perfect game, I think they would have had trouble hanging in there. And as it was, when you go interception, pawn it, interception, including that really lucky interception the second time, you're not going to hang in there. You're, right. you're just not. And so Coach Frost saying, we, we just have to flush this one. That's kind of what I'm doing with that one in my head. I mean – yeah, you're troubled by the talent gap, but you feel like that was a highly talented team program at its full maturity against a team and a program still trying to find its way back and, and to really pick it apart and really you know, dissect it, I don't think serves anybody. I chuckle, and we've all said this, but yeah, the perception was last year was really an off year for them. They win the league, they win the Rose Bowl. They yep. just didn't get in the playoffs, so that they all feel like that they, you know, they came up shy and all their things. We could all, we should all be so lucky, right? Yeah. But to me, I knew they had all these other parts. I wasn't sure Justin Fields was this good, but he has been that good through five. Can he keep it going? Probably not. Maybe, maybe Sparty this weekend knocks him off a little bit maybe maybe gets him uncomfortable in the pocket but boy he has been almost flawless through five weeks yeah it kind of astounds you that georgia let him go i mean he couldn't that, he couldn't beat out from the, yeah. the guy that i'm in oh yeah i mean that that says a little something and, and he's plugged into that offense he's a perfect fit for that offense he can physically do everything that that offense asks he's got all the throws he's got plenty of weapons around him he's got all the time he needs I mean it's it's just a perfect situation and he fits that offense really well I'll be interested to see what he does this weekend against um, Michigan State and I'll be interested to see what he's able to do against Penn State because those are two really really good defenses but I think he'll be equal to that task and and he's the best you know we a lot of the conversation around Nebraska was, well, Adrian Martinez is the best quarterback other than 
we'll see about Justin Fields. Well, we saw about Justin Fields. Right. I, I'm, I'm pulled up a draft analysis here, and this particular one that I found, and there's millions of them out there, has Okuda and Young four and five <laughs> on the draft board. So there's two defenders, and we saw a lot of both of those kids Saturday night, number four and number five in next spring's NFL draft. I think they're every bit of that, and at least that's what they showed to us Saturday night. Yeah, Chase Young was basically unblockable. He was. He was unblockable. He was a factor on a ton of plays. I mean, beyond just the sacks he was able to get, he he was somebody that Nebraska just couldn't deal with, and and – that's going to happen to a lot of teams, unfortunately. And and Jeff Okuda is just a top-notch defender, and it just underscores how tough it's been for Nebraska's wide receivers to get off the line and to get open against mediocre defensive backs. Now let me ask it you It wasn't going to happen against him. Scott Frost's message after the game was that he told the guys, you got to flush it. Just flush it, and let's come back to work tomorrow, and let's move on. And you said the same thing, basically. Isn't it easier to do that after a game like that than, say, the Colorado game? Oh, yeah. No question. No question. Because the Colorado game especially – you felt like you gave to him. You felt like you were sitting there at, you know, you had the 17 nothing halftime lead. You score that first drive, and they quit. I think that's a pretty, pretty solid guess of what would have happened had Nebraska been able to score one more time in the third quarter. Whereas that Ohio State game, you just look at it and you go, they're really, really talented. They're playing really, really well. Nebraska didn't play well at all especially offensively, it, it was going to be pretty tough for Nebraska to beat Ohio State. Yeah, I, I'm with you. For me, if you go, well, Greg, Greg which, which, which loss affected you more? It's Colorado because oh, sure. of everything you just laid out there. I, that one I didn't get over until midweek. I was kind of over the Ohio State game as I'm walking out of the stadium. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's go on Northwestern Neck. Let's go get this. And I, I have a feeling the team can do that too to a certain degree. Yeah, I think it's easier to move on. I think they see some opportunities. I mean, the next four games on the Huskers' schedule, pretty good opportunities for this team. I mean, they're going to have to play well. They're going to have they're going to have to limit mistakes. We can't keep having three giveaways, four giveaways a game. But you look at you look at this week's matchup with Northwestern, very shoddy offensively. Minnesota's been fortunate to win. They they're undefeated, but they've been but everything's been a one score game mm-hmm. so far for them. Indiana might be the toughest out of those four, and that's still a game you feel like you ought to win. And then Purdue, you know, Elijah Sindelar is hurt, Rondale Moore is hurt. They've had injuries defensively. That's a really good. Ch- this four-game stretch is a really good chance for this team to get some momentum and get some confidence heading into that big three-game stretch to end the year with Wisconsin and Iowa. It's really interesting the way the schedule broke out this year. You had the first four weeks, which you really felt like Nebraska could go 4-0. They didn't. They went 3-1. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Ohio State game. It was kind of an outlier. <laughs> and then you have the four-game stretch you're talking about, which – you just feel like you've got to start beating those type of teams if you're Nebraska. And then you finish with the three with uh, Wisconsin and Iowa sandwiched and with Maryland sandwiched in between the two. So you kind of have the season broken up in sections. We just went through the shortest section being Ohio State, which was the one you're like, oh boy, that's going to be tough. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you mentioned that you felt like Nebraska could start this year 4-0. and You know, this four-game stretch – 
maybe coming into the year you were thinking about three and one, worried about one of those two Big Ten West games, especially with the way those two road the two teams you play on the road, Minnesota and Purdue, have been playing, and especially Purdue, you feel like you have a chance to get one back. You, you, right. This this is a chance for this team to go four and zero, which, you know, obviously this team's a ways away from competing for 12 and 0 but can you go through a month undefeated that's a good step toward that that's exactly right and uh, this is i've been anxious for this stretch and maybe i was just kind of ready to get saturday night <laughs> behind me but uh, this stretch will be key it starts saturday with northwestern folks if you want to still um, hash out some of the ohio state game that's certainly fine i know it's it's still hangover tuesday type thing but we can certainly get into that or your thoughts about this four game stretch that nebraska starts on saturday with northwestern here are the phone numbers if you want to be a part of the program tonight 866-HOSKER-1-866-487-5371 it's north it's northwestern at home at minnesota indiana at home purdue on the road so it's Home away, home away for the next four weeks for the Oscars. Actually, it's over five because of the bye week Nebraska has on October the 19th. So we'll take your calls on that. All right, let's roll into a practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. It's presented by JTEC Construction. Time to replace your roof? Call JTEC, the official exterior experts of the Huskers, for a free estimate. JTEC Construction is a family-owned company with locations in Lincoln, Omaha, and Grand Island. Huskers in full pads today at the Hawks Championship Center. Eric Chenander met with the media, and of course after Ohio State was able to defeat Nebraska 48-7, to there's a balance to be struck between not dwelling on that game but still learning some of the lessons from that game, and Eric Chenander was asked about that balance. You got to come in on, obviously on Sunday, we, we have to get it cleaned up as a staff and then we also have to game plan for Northwestern. The kids have to come in on Monday morning, we have to get the corrections made and then it's on to Northwestern from there on. After, after that first meeting, win or lose on Monday morning, you have to be done with that one, you have to get on to the next one because the next game is the most important one always. And, and as we've said, I don't know that that was as difficult this time as it might have been, say, Colorado week or some of the tough losses this program's had in the last couple of years. Football such a routine, and coaches love to keep their guys in routines, how they travel, how they practice, all those different things, how they warm up. So that's a routine, and I, I'm with you. I think the guys probably walked out of there Saturday night like, Phew, that was a heck of a – we just got run over by a really good team. Let's move on. Yeah. So I, I – I'm fully convinced this one was easier to put behind you than the Colorado game was a few weeks ago. And with that in mind, you know, they're probably a little more anxious to get back to work, a little little more focused, uh, understanding that, hey, we've got a little farther to go if we're going to be the sort of football team we hope to be. Now, as Eric Chenander said, the most important game's the next one. The next one is Northwestern. Eric Chenander was asked about the defense shifting their focus. Yeah, I think I think it's. I mean, it's tough. There's no question about it. That's tough. Um, but they've done a good job of, of trying to get ready for Northwestern, moving on, uh, getting the new game plan in, uh, and, and starting to practice for the for the team we're playing. 
So Northwestern, a team that's really not been terribly proficient on offense, putting up just 15.5 points per game. But Eric Schneider was asked, what challenges do the Wildcats present? You know, Northwestern's a team that I think everybody always respects in this league because they're never going to beat themselves. They're a disciplined team. They're a tough team. They're going to be where they're supposed to be. And for the most part, they operate what the coaches want them to do. And so I think you just have to be, you have to be sound in what you do. You have to, you have to be sound in your coverage. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, be pressing. You can't be, you know, over, overextending yourself, trying to make a play because they'll make you pay. They're, they're smart enough to, to adjust to what everybody's doing. But I think it's a really good football team that doesn't beat themselves a lot. I know some people are looking at their offensive numbers and going, woo. But, but keep in mind, they have played Stanford, Wisconsin, and Michigan State, three really good defenses in their four games. So a lot of teams would struggle moving the football against those three defenses. I still think they're having issues offensively, but playing that schedule – Whew, that's that's a rough start. And two of those were on the road, Stanford and Wisconsin. Yeah, that those will keep your offensive numbers down. I mean, yeah. you, you now they also have quarterback issues. They've had injury issues. TJ Green, who won the quarterback derby in preseason, then got hurt at Stanford. Uh, Johnson was in and out of the game against Wisconsin. They had to go to their proverbial third quarterback. And, yeah. And, and we don't know who's – actually going to start at quarterback this week but at the same time you know as Eric Chenander said they don't beat themselves they don't make foolish mistakes you have to beat them and so often games are more often lost than won and and Northwestern especially their run to the Big Ten West last year proved that if you don't beat yourself you can pick up a lot of wins speaking of last year's Northwestern team of course, the Wildcats broke Nebraska's hearts up in Evanston last year in an overtime win. Eric Schnander was asked about that game with the Wildcats. Yeah, I mean, you, you in the offseason, you watch that one a bunch, and how could we have how could we have called it differently? How could we have executed differently? How could we have managed the clock differently? So many situations went into the end of that, that football game. Uh, I think you, you, you analyze that one a lot, not just for the getting ready for Northwestern this year, but also you know, all the games just as a, as, a, as a coaching staff. Yeah, that was one, you know, we were talking about trying to get over the Colorado game. I had a tough time getting over Northwestern yeah. last year. Huskers had the lead. Uh, Isaac Armstrong had buried them deep in their own end late in the game. And yet with Thorson and, and Skoranek, they just carved Nebraska up down the field, got that game tied in the waning seconds of the fourth quarter, and eventually won in overtime. That one was just devastating because we're, Huskers were 0-5 at the time, and you're thinking, all right, here we go. Maybe flip it here because at the, the next two were going to be Minnesota at home and Bethune-Cookman, and you kind of think, all right, we can get a little momentum going here if we can win this, then come back home for two games that we could win, and ended up we ended up winning those games by the way mm-hmm. uh, but yeah just re- really outplayed Northwestern all day long until the final two minutes yeah it was a it was a gut punch and hopefully oh. Nebraska able to learn from that and as we continue along on our JTAC practice report one one thing from that Northwestern game is learning from situations and not getting caught up in the larger picture of the game and Eric Chenander was asked about that 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, those are things in the offseason. Um, situationally, I think, I think you got to separate the game from situations, right? And, and as a staff and as a team, you've got to learn from situations. You've got to, you know, be able to adjust to situations. You've got to use those situations moving forward without, you know, isolating one game. It's, it, at that point, it becomes a, a situation we need to work on, not just the Northwestern game. And then the offseason, you really revisit that. And that does a couple of things for you. It takes the emotion out of it, and it also makes it more widely applicable. How, how do you finish off a game? How do you make sure a team doesn't you know, get the ball deep in their own end and still go all the way down the field and score and, and send the game to overtime? So that approach is important just to get more out of, you know, to, to not waste a loss, as Nick Saban would say. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, this team's had some hard lessons. They've Hopefully they've learned from those hard lessons over the last two years. And, again, it's just about a guy stepping up and making something happen. And it can be a different guy every week. Right. You just need somebody to make it happen. You just need to find a way to get it done. Yeah. Uh, and that's especially true when the offense turns the ball over. The Huskers get, have given it away seven times in the last two games, which has left the defense in some bad spots. And Eric Chenander was asked about how he gets his guys to respond in those difficult places. Got to put the fire out, period. Period. I don't care where we get the ball. I don't care if they get it on their own four. Uh, I don't care if they get it on their own 40. I don't care if they get it on their own 20. We got to put the fire out, period. And we didn't do a good job of doing that on Saturday. And you appreciate him being stand-up about it. It would get frustrating, I would think, as as a defense, if the offense is turning it over and, and putting you in bad spots. And, and this is an offense that puts the defense in bad spots. There's just no getting around it. And yet, at times this year, Saturday night's an exception, but there are quite a few times this year where this defense has been handed an awful situation. And at the very least, they hold them to a field goal. At the very least, they don't give up the touchdown, which is speaks pretty highly about what this defense has in their gut. You just think about the right, – we keep bringing up the Colorado game, but remember the turnover Nebraska had at about their own 20 in the second half. The defense held them to three. You get to overtime, defense holds them to three. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the kind of plays you can that Eric Chenander and these guys can build off of. And then you go to the Illinois game. Yeah, they gave up 38 points, but – Illinois got the ball at the four, the fourteen, the thirty-six. I mean, those were those are hard spots. You're already in field goal range when they take over all those drives. Right. You've you've essentially given up three, three. points as it is, and the question is, can you can you hold them off a seven? And when they get the ball at the four, I mean, four plays to go four yards. Your odds are not very good, and. This defense has been in a bunch of tough situations this year. A couple of notes from practice. Bo Wilson was not in uniform today. I don't remember him getting hurt Saturday night, but wasn't in there today. And Barrett Pickering still not in uniform. Yeah, you worry You worry if that ship is sailing a little bit. Could be. Bit. You get to the point here for long where you, you maybe you consider just putting the red shirt on him. And if you get him back for the last game or two, fine, but – Keep it under four and get another year out of him. Yeah, you know, especially as tough as kickers are to find, assuming Pickering can come back to full health. Right. I mean, it'd be nice to get him for four games this year. I mean, after that second bye, it's Wisconsin, Maryland, and Iowa, and two of those games are probably in bad weather. Right. And then a bull game, unless Nebraska makes the Big Ten title game. 
So you can you can kick him in big games. He can make big kicks for you, assuming he gets back to health. Well, this is week six. Yeah. This is the halfway point now. I mean, if if he doesn't come back in October like this week, this week or next week, I think you think pretty hard about mi- holding him out all the way through October, like right. I said, for for that last stretch. Yeah, Coach DeWitt just said, yeah, we just never seen anything like it today, but just uh, probably go with the same thing. Lane McCallum kicked the one extra point. Uh, Will Pristup kicked off for Nebraska. I thought those were a little bit better than they were mm-hmm. at Illinois. He just had a hard time getting the ball to the goal line at Illinois. But the guy that did not have a good night was Isaac Armstrong. Did not hit the ball well when he punted. Yeah, really the – Probably the worst night of his ah, career. Which, don't you think? Which is a shame, and and you got to think, you know, some of that was was the pressure of the moment with the offense struggling. I'm sure yeah. he he might have been overthinking it a little too, but at the same time, it it would have helped the cause if he w- would have boomed a 45 yarder. No doubt. Good stuff there on the JTech practice report from Eric Chenander. No full hour of John Cook. The Huskers have already left town. They're going to be in Piscataway tomorrow night to take on the Rutger, Rutgers Scarlet Knights, but I had a chance to catch up with the head volleyball coach before they left town. Huskers open league play over the weekend, beating both Illinois and Northwestern. Said, uh, Asked the coach if he was happy with the results of the first weekend. Yeah, it was uh, a really good effort by our team. Um, we had a great match against Illinois. That was the second five-setter we've had with them counting the final four back in December and was on their home court and we had to dig down really deep to win that. The match went three and a half hours because of the heat in there. So much time spent wiping up the floor. It was it was really tough conditions and uh, we found a way to win that. And then of course you got to do it again less than 24 hours and travel. And so we were in a dogfight at Northwestern and found a way, held off four match points in game three to to win that. We were down, I think, 12-2 in the first, came back and won that. So our team showed a lot of resilience, and uh, I think our Asia trip probably had a lot to do with that, building that resilient muscle, we call it, so they can um, fight through ma- <laughs> Excuse me, matches like that. Jazz Sweet with a career high in kills against Illinois. What did you make of her performance? I thought Jazz... Um, you know she's she's been she's had a good year, but she went to another level this first weekend, and I I just saw a deep fire in her I haven't seen, and um, and she's worked really hard. She wants you know she says all the right things. She's worked really hard in the off season, and and uh, so it's good to see that pay off. But she was very inspired this weekend and played like it. Brought great energy and and uh, was a huge force. Illinois, I think, had like about a 500 record going into that, but I'm sure you anticipated a pretty good fight from them. Yeah, they're, they're I mean, they, like us, they lost um, their setter and um, basically another player who they've already replaced. So, um, um, so anyway, they're a very similar situation with us. They lost a couple matches on one weekend because they were, um, they had a couple kids out. And they were trying to figure out five one six two, but you know they they beat Marquette, who beat Wisconsin, and then they they beat uh, Tennessee twice. Um, so they've had some really good wins. They just struggled because they were banged up and trying to figure out their setter situation. But they've got it figured out, and they're going to be one of the top teams in the conference. Three straight on the road to start league play. That can be daunting, but you got two of them behind you, and that means you got a batch of home matches still to come, right? Yeah, well, that's what I'm, I'm looking at. We got. 
10 road matches in the Big Ten. We'll have three out of the way by Thursday. So uh, that's that's the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I got to really figure out how to manage our team now to, you know, keep them fresh. And and we got to come back and play Wisconsin on Saturday. So it's this is the grind. And, uh, you know, you got to embrace the grind. Friday here, big announcement with the opening or the that they're going to build a new football facility off to the edge of the stadium. You've gone through a facility upgrade here in the last few years. What can that mean for a program? I, I just think it is a huge um, uh, motivational burst for everybody. I mean, it's going to give everybody something, hope, and 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 allow us to dream big. So, and, and we know how important football is and the, the success of football. But I just think it's going to validate everything we're trying to do here, make a stamp on how important this is. And and I also get the part about well, what about the academic part? But look at what they're doing across the campus. And I think I think Nebraska is worth investing in. It's time. It's it's changed a lot over my 20 years here and I think this is the next big step to set us up for you know the next 25 years and whether it's the engineering building and the new performance center or football athlete performance center and uh, and getting track probably scored away they'll probably like that better and and I know they're, they're working on golf and swimming so we're really I think in the Big Ten man you you got to be at the top if you want to compete and you got to be equal with your peers on what you're offering and if you're not it's going to be tough and and i've been through northwestern's deal i've been through minnesota's deal i mean they blow us away and i think we have really nice facilities but those new ones are are, and i haven't seen the other ones but they're really impressive how much did the devaney center development help your program i i think um because you were good before yeah and we love playing in the coliseum I think the biggest thing for Devaney, I'm not sure it changed recruiting because the Coliseum was a great place to play. And the, what, what changed gave us a bigger brand. It, it, it allowed 4,000 4, more people to be able to come and watch us play. It is a world-class facility. It looks great on TV. Um, Coliseum, you know, was tough. They, I mean, they had to build scaffoldings up there. I mean, it had to be dangerous uh, to have cameras. So it just put us in a world-class thing. It, it gives us locker rooms so we can host, you know, really nice NCAA tournament matches and tournaments. Um, it's got the sky boxes, the courtside seats. So, you know, we I think we doubled doubled those, and and it's got a lot more parking. So I think for the fans, it, it was it was a it was a game changer. Um, and I've never heard a complaint about Devaney. Even the people that are in C-section, they love their seats. The people standing room only love their seats. The only complaints I've ever heard is is uh, uh, parking, you know, getting in and out, especially when there's a Stars game. I'll hear about that once in a while. So, but for us, I just think it, it put us on a bigger stage and it validated everything that Nebraska volleyball is about. And it just, again, uh, Greg, I think the biggest thing is it it says how important volleyball is here and i think what this new facility is it says how important football and our student athletes are here that we're going to make this commitment and i think you know we're a state that has no pro sports and you got you gotta you can't lie about this i mean sports are huge here and it's important and it's part of it and you know, I, I'm in agony with everybody else, with every team that's playing, and and uh, you know, it's it's 
and you and when our, when every other team wins you you feel you, you walk a little faster you feel better and when a team loses you know like the football team you just you know it's hard monday mornings are tough you know it's 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 part of the fabric of the state all right one last thing uh, Rutgers, what challenges do they pose for you on wednesday long trip uh and um they play in a cracker box little gym <laughs> has no air conditioning so i don't know what the temp is there right now but uh They've got a. They play a very different style of volleyball because they have all these foreign players. I mean, John Baylor is going to earn his keep uh, announcing names, uh, and so those foreign players are. It's just a whole different game than what we saw against Illinois, for example, or Northwestern, and so we're going to have to adjust to that. And, um, and it's another Big Ten match, and they'll be fired up for the Huskers. Good luck. We'll see you back here Saturday for a big one with Wisconsin. Okay. Thanks, Greg. There was John Cook. Uh, caught up with him yesterday before they took off today for Rutgers. Sounds like he's really excited about playing the Scarlet Knights. I, who, who among us doesn't get fired up for a trip to beautiful Piscataway, New Jersey, and the palatial facilities that Rutgers uh, gives you the great honor of playing in? We, we all scratch our heads when we think about Rutgers being a member of this conference. Yeah. And we're the new kids on the block, but even the old guards are all kind of going, why? Why are they here? Right. And and you don't like the eastern drift of the conference. I mean, I know we were the far western team, but you border a Big Ten state and everything kind of fits. The fan base fits. Those two were just grabs. Yeah, they sure were. Interesting. That that made Jim Delaney did a lot of good things for this conference. That those the additions of those two would not be, no, one of them. I asked this last night of Ben. I said, "Who will be the coach that will try to rise that program from the ashes?" <laughs> you know, Greg Schiano <laughs> makes uh, Greg Schiano part two makes a lot of sense. It sure does, and I you think know? he probably would want to go back and try to revive it. And he might do it. He might be able to get him respectable. Yeah. I, I think the formula could work again. I, I don't know that it's it's anything too alluring, but at the same time, you can at least sell it in the interim as, hey, this guy has worked here and this guy could work here again. And, and he also has some exposure to the big time in the Big Ten with Ohio State. So it's at least a little easier sell. And, and to his success at Rutgers earlier makes him an easier sell to the Rutgers fan base than say to the Tennessee fan base. So I I think Shiano's the one that makes the most sense. If not him, good luck. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Lance Leopold at Buffalo. Maybe he'd be worth a shot. Yeah, he sure would be. When we come back, we'll chance to sit down with Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha world Herald. We'll do that next. Back Sports Highland here on a Tuesday night. Baseball playoffs underway. The Brewers have taken a 2-0 lead on the Nationals. A two-run home run in the first inning. It's given Milwaukee the early jump in that wild card game. We'll keep you posted as we move throughout the night. One guy that I know is a big baseball fan. Probably fired up for those Dodgers to get going. Tom Chattel from the Omaha World Herald joins us. Is this the year the Dodgers finally get that elusive ring? <laughs> no, I won't believe it till I see it. So, no. <laughs> Well, they have a heck of a team. They had a great year. Well, yeah, they they, they were they basically been uh, very good and, and at times great since April sixteenth, which worries the hell out of me. So uh, the bullpen also worries me. So 
I'm I'm saying Houston Astros are going to win it all, and and that's my story, and I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, I loved your column about uh, after the Husker lost to Ohio State Saturday that Nebraska did a lot of things right except for the game. I mean, the, the week was really well done with the announcement of facilities, game day, but a flat performance Saturday night. What would you make of all that? Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can't you can't say the weekend was a washout or a failure at, at all. It was it was an incredible uh, selling point. And if you recruit, you look at it and go, well, maybe I can play too. I mean, there's certainly some talent, but they, they need they need a lot more. And um, you know, uh, I, I'm as guilty as anybody. I, I, I picked Ohio State by six. I thought it could be close. I, and, and and I based a lot of that on last year's game in uh, the horseshoe, where Ohio State's defense was not that good, and their quarterback was really struggling, and Nebraska uh, was playing a lot better on offense. Um, so, well, guess what happened? Well, Ohio State's a lot better than last year, and Nebraska's still working a lot of things out. So, uh, but, you know, that said, a three and two, probably we'll look at it. Everybody probably had them at, at, at probably four and one, beating Colorado. I think they're still on schedule. This is a big stretch, though, isn't it? Coming up, starting Saturday with Northwestern, oh, yeah. these next three, four games are big, aren't they? Absolutely, you're not going to beat Ohio State, but here's some teams that uh, you know you're going to have to play well, you're going to have to coach well, and you know you're going to you can't turn it over. Uh, a lot of these teams coming up make you beat them starting with this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Uh, what are they going to end up with? Uh, can they go to a bowl? Um, as it turns out, uh, maybe, maybe Bo Moose had it right all along, and he said six and six, and we all laughed at him. Um, so, you know, we'll see. They, they, they got three. They got a, they, they, they need three more. Uh, there's a lot more up there. I think that can be uh, that can be won, but can also be lost. So this is a good. I like this stretch coming up. I think it really give us a good. Uh, the, the last uh, seven games are are, are, are going to give us an accurate uh, snapshot of, of where the program is in year two. Tom Chattel's with us, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald. You can read his work online at omaha.com. For me, the, maybe the highlight of the game, Tom, was when Scott pulled out the I formation and we did the fullback trap and lined up with wings on each side. That took me back to the 90s. Did you have that flashback too? Are you kidding me? When I saw it, I'm going, what year is it? Is that <laughs> Joe McAvicka? I mean, that was great. Um Everybody got fired about that, and then we didn't see it again. But that was okay. I don't think you need to, you know, they didn't score there. And I thought, well, that was that a way to keep them in the game? Was that a way to keep Ohio State off balance? I mean, I, I think that offense is it's. Um, it, it, and this is going to sound weird, but it's it's a great curveball for Nebraska right now. Uh, the the idea that that offense. Uh, could be a change-up is crazy. That used to be the staple, but now we're in, it's 2019. Uh, Scott Frost has a different offense in mind, and but what a great tribute for him to uh, 
to to Coach Osborne to to use that uh, in the game. And uh, I'm telling you, I don't know if you noticed it, but after the interception, Ohio State's defense came over to the sideline, and their coordinators and staff were scrambling around, and they were pointing, and they had the chalkboards out, and they were going nuts uh, talking to them. Uh, it, it was it was funny thinking I, they didn't know what to hit them, and they're trying to figure out. They're probably thinking, well, they're going to keep doing this, and we can't stop it. So, I, I, I think that's going to. I think we're going to see it again. Obviously, um, the question is how much. But I think, you know, Greg, they've got they don't ha- they don't have the, the receivers to run this offense right now. They don't have the offensive line to run this to, to do what they want to do on offense. Uh, we've got a quarterback trying to do too much at times, pressing uh, not sharp. Uh, and, and not getting enough time to do things, but also he's 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 in his own way at times. It's it, it's it's it happens. Um, so you know, well, what are you going to do? Well, I, this is what I wanted to see from Scott Frost: was the offensive innovation. And uh, you know, okay, he's got he can't do what he wants to do on offense. He's got to go with something else to to help uh, you know keep the other team out balance. Um, now they've all got to think about it. They've all got to prepare for it. You can't, you can't just, just you know, you can't just spend uh, ten minutes, out, you know, trying to get ready for that offense every week for your opponent. So it, it's a heck of a weapon right now. I think it's, uh, you know, going forward. Uh, I mean, you won't get any, any arguments from anybody in the stands, um, but it's it, it's it's the changeup. It is not the fastball. So, uh, but it's great. Fans loved it. It was on some of the loudest uh, that the stadium got all night when they broke that out. Tom Chattel again with us here on Sports Nightly. Um, I want to ask you about this pay-to-play law that has now been signed into effect in Colorado. It will take effect in a couple of years. Other states today look like they may be starting to jump into the fray here. What do you make of this? Where do you think this goes? And how active do you think the NCAA has to get now in this deal? Well, they better get in front of it or they're going to get run over. Uh, and they're going to have to put out fires and try to figure out every state what they're going to do. Um, this is going to force their hand to finally do what, what they should be doing, and that's taking care of the athletes. Um, I mean, we've, you know, going back to the early 80s, Ernie Chambers has been beating this drum forever. Uh, eventually, Tom got on board with the, they should be a stipend. I mean, it's the right thing to do. The athletes can't earn money. They can't take jobs and internships. They're not regular students. And yes, they're getting a free education, which I think is very important. Um, but you got to give them a, a chance to also get a and, and this is perfect because the schools can't afford to do this. I mean, people laugh and say, well, you all this money. Right, but the money goes into an overall budget. The the, the the basketball tournament money, all that stuff, it goes into a budget that's that's, that's trying to support all these sports. Um, there's stuff like the facilities and the coaches' salaries. A lot of that's private money and the, the foundation stuff. It's it's not going to go away. But this is a way to take care of athletes. And though you know, you say, well, why not everybody? Well, this is. The way I think uh, the best alternative is uh, to, you know, those who earn it or certainly have had the value uh, can sign autographs, can make appearances, 
going to go do a speech. Um, will there be abuse? Sure, but there's abuse now. Will there be cheating? No, because it'll be above board. It won't be cheating, right? It'll be okay. I'm, you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know. I said some guy asked, well, is, you know, somebody's going to pay a hundred thousand dollars to vote. I don't think anybody's going to quite pay a hundred grand for an appearance uh, to give an athlete. But w- will there be some of that? Yes. Um, but really, it, it's kind of an equalizer it, in terms of what the competitive balance. Whether you're UNO, Creighton, or Nebraska, you've got businessmen who are fans and donors who who can certainly offer you know service. They can okay. I need you to come speak. Uh, I need you to come do this. Um, will there be TV commercials? Why not? Uh, that could be kind of funny, actually. Um, you know, will this hurt the locker room? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. That that's that to me is is kind of beside the point. The point here is they got to they've got to do something uh, to t- to take care of the athletes. I believe, and this is the right thing to do. Have you t- have you spoken to any ne- Nebraska legislators? Is this something you could see this state putting together a bill here in the next year or two? I have not, but uh, you know, in the state like I do, they won't be out in front of this. They'll probably think it's uh, something evil and, and something they shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> You know, maybe Senator Chambers will will try to rattle some cages, but you know how that usually goes when he does that. So um, they don't always listen. So I, I'd be uh, I'd be surprised if they were out front. I'd be happy if they were, but I think they they need to be. But I think they'll probably wait and just kind of sit back and wait. I mean, this is uh, this, this is only out there, and you know, I, I don't know. If you're going to have anybody at the university going to them and saying we need to do this, um, but I think the thing to do now is to kind of sit back and wait and see where it goes. Uh, you know, what is the NCA going to do? That might be the way to do this thing is to let the NCA take charge if they, in fact, will. So, um, but yeah, yeah, Nebraska's going to be paying attention to other other schools in the Big Ten. You know, what are they doing, and uh, what are they allowed to do, and you know, if enough states in the Big Ten uh, adopt this, then certainly Nebraska is going to have to get in line. Well, I think uh, several other states stepped up today and said that they're they're looking to put legislation maybe in front of their state houses this year. So we'll we'll follow that closely. Tom, we appreciate it. Uh, see you at the stadium on Saturday. Thanks, Greg. It's it's a good series. Every something something. Uh, Exciting or dramatic usually happens, so I'm sure this will be this won't be any different. Yeah, I'm planning on it. Thanks, thanks, Tom. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Tom, Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald, with us on our. He joined us on our Sports Nightly Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. I seem to remember back in the '90s that the Nebraska legislator debated a bill about paying athletes, paying the football players. Yeah, I think Ernie Chambers, in fact, brought it up. I don't know that it it was ratified by the legislature or mm, I think signed it, into law by the governor. I think it got voted down, but I think it was on the floor being debated. Right. Yeah. I, That's twenty years ago. Right. It, Ernie Chambers, of course. Uh, oh, he's been around a while. Yeah. You know, he 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 tends to bring things up like this and. It's it's a tough deal. I you know we'll see how many other states ratify this, and I'm not so sure California is the best place to test this out when you think about it, because 
there's so much going on in California. Will there be all that much money for endorsements or appearances or anything like that, you know, for a UCLA basketball player or a USC football player? It would almost be better if it happened in a state like Nebraska, Oklahoma, Alabama, where where the, the college team is the heartbeat of the state, where we could see and, and, and try and figure out how much of an impact would this really have? Because, you know, in California, it's a drop in the bucket, but a place like here, there would be, there would be companies lining up. Like if Adrian Martinez were available for endorsements, there would be companies lining up in the state. going to change our building. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what our folks here work on. These clients and dealing with and endorsements, it's going to go crazy. Right. I mean, it it changes the entire funding model of college athletics because, you know, a a company that might have given money to the athletic department in part to secure their football tickets, but also just to give it to support the programs all of a sudden goes – you know what? I can go and I can have Adrian Martinez, Lauren Stiverens, and you know whomever do my ads, and those three will get what was my donation or whatever the donation minus what I have to give to keep my football tickets. Like it, it opens a Pandora's box, and I know you know I agree with the basic principle that football players probably have more coming to them than the compensation package that they get now, which is their scholarship plus a little spending money and then all the amenities of being a college athlete. But how do you do it? Tom says you can. We'll answer all those later. We'll (laughs) see. Smarter people than you and I can probably figure that out. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. Fun topic, wasn't it? Yeah, just as we're getting into the playoffs, just as postseason baseball begins. The guys to watch. Austin, any trouble with this one? Only ordering them. Plenty of big names still out there, but putting them in order 1 through 10, not 1 through 15, was uh, the difficult part. All right, very good. Nate, start us off. All right, my number 10, a guy I love. One of my favorite players of all time, and he had a good year. Zach Greinke of the Astros with the Strohs, 8-1 with an ERA just over 3-10 starts, 18-5 for the whole year. I felt kind of bad putting him at 10, but there, there's a lot of quality in the playoffs, as you'd expect. And Greinke's probably the third of those big three starters for Houston. Seems criminal that he got dealt to them. The trade deadline, right? That, that, that's an embarrassment Ugh. of riches in that starting rotation. All right, Austin, what do you have? All right, I've got another former Royal here at number 10. Not Zach Greinke, but Lorenzo Cain, center fielder for the Milwaukee Brewers. Still just perpetually criminally underrated. Not as good with the bat this year, but the fact that he still doesn't have a gold glove is a travesty. He leads the league in out-of-zone plays made, out-of-zone ratings. He gets to everything. He catches everything. And gosh darn it, I miss him. Yeah, uh, I, I love Locaine. Yeah. All right, I'm, st- I'm, I'm going with a ball player from the state of Missouri, but from the other side of the state, the St. Louis Cardinals. Here I have Jack Flaherty, who has just been lights out 
the second half of the season for the Cardinals. Only won 11 games, but his whip is under one, 0.97, 2.75 ERA. And I think his ERA from July on was like 0.98. He's just been dominant for them. They'll need him to be big if they're going to pull off the upset over the Braves. No doubt about it. All right, my number nine, sticking with the Strohs, Alex Bregman, their third baseman. Love him. 41 homers, 112 RBI, uh, probably the best offensive year of anybody that was up for the whole year for the Houston Astros, foreshadowing. But uh, the the heartbeat of that lineup, especially with the injury issues of Altuve and Correa. Yeah, love him. So I'm in college. Huskers played LSU one game. He he homered. Oh, wow. Shock. Not a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, Bregman's my number nine as well. How about that? Great minds. Yeah. My number nine, I'm going to shake it up. Is that okay? Uh, shake it I up suppose. Sure. Uh, a guy playing tonight. I've got Anthony Rendon here at number nine. 319 average on the year, 126 ribbies, 34 home runs. Saw him playing college, too. He was at Rice. A uh, heck of a player. I don't know how long the Nats are going to be part of the playoffs, though, but I got Rendon at nine. Yeah, well, they're halfway through the only game they're guaranteed right now, or <laughs> just about halfway through. Uh, all right, my number eight, Hunjin Ryu. For the Dodgers, yeah. and it felt weird putting the starting pitcher that wasn't Clayton Kershaw on this list, but Ryu had a great year, 232 ERA, 29 starts, 14 wins, and he and Kershaw at the front of that Dodger rotation, pretty good one, too. And other than the Nats, who are playing for their lives right now, the most frightening one, too. Is he going to be the one in the in the, the the divisional series, or have they announced yet? You know, I, I haven't, haven't seen, seen yet. I, I've seen some of the rotations announced, but I've not yet seen what the Dodgers are doing. Okay. I stick in the California area. I go further north, though, but I do stick at third base, back-to-back third baseman for me here. I've got Matt Chapman, third baseman for the Oakland A's. He might have taken Andrelton Simmons' uh, crown as the best defender in the game. For me, he's right up there with the Manny Machados, Nolan Arenados, and like you mentioned, Greg, Anthony Rendon's for best third baseman in the game. I'm glad you put him on there because the A's kind of get lost in the shuffle, and they shouldn't because year after year they put a product on the field that's pretty darn good, and he is a whale of a player. My number eight, I'm going to Texas. I'm going to Houston. Here's where I have George Springer. Ended up with 39 bombs, 96 RBIs, 292 average. Heck of a baseball player. So I've got Springer, the Astros at eight. All right, my number seven, Ronald Acuna of the Atlanta Braves. Dynamic in the outfield, 41 home runs, 101 RBI. One of the young guys driving that Braves team forward and and, uh, you know, between him and Freeman, that's Josh Donaldson. Interesting Braves lineup. Yeah, sure is. That's And young. Well, yeah. They're going to be around for yeah. a while. Yep. wonder if they'll rattle off, what was it, 15 straight division titles again with Whoa. this core? <laughs> I don't know that they I have 15 in yeah. them, but, but they I, could get a few. Uh, that's a, 15 may stand for a long, long time. Yeah, 15's pretty safe, I would think. All right, so for my number seven here, uh, Nate, you just mentioned Acuna. I go, I stick in the same division, go to an outfielder as well, but for a team in action tonight, Juan Soto, the childish Gambino, or childish Bambino of the Washington Nationals, maybe the best young pure hitter in baseball right now. At 20 years old, he's hitting 285 in the majors, um, crazy OPS numbers. I, he's a guy that's going to end up in the AL as a DH somewhere and just absolutely mash. He's just impressive to watch at the plate, just a magician with the bat. I'm glad you said his age. I was going to ask, is he even 20 yet? But he is now, mm-hmm. right? Age Finally. 20 season. Oh, baby. 
My number seven, you had a brave. I have a brave. I have a different brave than your brave. I've got Freddie Freeman here. 38 home runs on the year, 121 RBIs, 295 average. Love his game, and I love that lineup. So Freeman for me is at seven. Leader for the Braves for the last few years and, and kind of kind of the, the leader for the Braves, yeah. really. Yep. Uh, sticking at first base with my number six, this guy only played 87 games this year, but made an impact for the Astros in those 87 games. Jordan Alvarez, their first baseman. 313 average, 27 homers, 78 RBI, slugged 655, played half a season, but man, what a half season. Terrific, yep. All right, my number six has already been mentioned. Greg, you had him at number nine. I've got Anthony Rendon all the way up here. I think he's underappreciated. Uh, he had a one an OPS over 1,000 this year, average defense at third base. You absolutely take that kind of baseball player. No doubt. He, he's just really, really good. All right, my number six, I put this on here for Josh. I've got Nelson Cruz of the Ooh. Twins. What a year he had. 311 average, 41 home runs, 108 on the RBI chart. Part of that unbelievable year, to record-setting home runs hit by the Twins this year. They edged the Yankees by one uh, for the team total at the end of the year, and Cruz was a big part of that with his 41. You had Cruz at six. I've got him at five. Great uh, minds again. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. I'll get on the great minds act. Not with Cruz here, but another player that's been mentioned. Ronald Acuna Jr. is my number five here. One of my favorite players in baseball. Exciting young talent and was just hours away from becoming a Kansas City Royal. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Thanks for stabbing that knife in there. It hurts me as bad as it hurts you. (laughs) Oh, boy. Isn't he like Alcides Escobar's cousin or something? That is the connection. Oh, And and Escobar tried to get the Royals training. So you need to... And Get so it, he tried to hand deliver him to the Royals, and they did. They didn't. Ah. My number five uh, has been mentioned as well. Here's where I've got Alex Bregman. I just love his game. I love his flair for the dramatic. He seems to want those intense situations to come up. Love that in a ball player. So I've got Bregman at five. Yes, mine. Uh, sticking with the Strohs for my number four. Uh, uh, Justin Verlander. Oh, you're going the whole rotation here. Almost. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> Mr. Kate Upton, 21 and 6, 258 ERA, 300 strikeouts, just resurgent. Going to the Astros, I think, gave him some life. I don't know if he felt like the Tigers gave up on him or if he just got bored at Detroit with that team going Isn't down hill. I mean, it's, it's a complete turn. Yeah. It, that going down to Houston gave Mr. Kate Upton some life. Yeah, it was like it took a pill. Yeah. Revitalized his career. Woke him up. He's been healthier. That's another big part of it. And oh, sure. Houston's a smart team. They've been having him throw his best pitches more. They call it advanced analytics, but that's not all that advanced if you ask me. <laughs> but All right, I, I stick on the mound for my number four. Another Washington National. He's on the mound for him tonight. I've got Max Scherzer here at number four. Allowed three runs here through four innings. But he's the guy who won on the mound. Just an absolute bulldog. He led the league with a 7.6 strikeout to walk ratio this year so he's got nasty stuff he can put it right where he wants it and he's one heck of a competitor look scary is at like Jason Voorhees or something pitching with that broken nose and black eye and the heterochromia oh my goodness he's just scary on the mound I imagine sure is all right my number four I'm going to a team that has not been mentioned tonight the New York Yankees Mm. I've got DJ LeMayhew here what 
what a year he has had for him and what a find for him to get him from Arizona, kind of resurrect his career. 327 average in the year, 26 home runs, 102 in the RBIs. I just felt like the Yankees had such a good year. I better find something, somebody from the Yankees to put on my list. He's one of the few of them that stayed upright the whole year. You're right. Man, how about that? The ability to win as many games as they did with all the injuries they had is incredible. Oh, it's unbelievable. And, and yeah, they were able to not just keep their – but, I mean, Tampa had a good year, and they held them off. Boston was a little disappointing, but still very talented. And yet the Yanks had that division pretty easily. All right, my number three, Austin had him at four. This is where I've got Max Scherzer, uh, September notwithstanding. He's one of the most dominant starting pitchers in baseball, and yet another good year out of him, 292 ERA and 27 starts. Speaking of pitchers with good years, I've got another one here at number three. Garrett Cole of the Houston Astros led all of baseball with 326 strikeouts in 212 innings, a 185 ERA plus. Also led the American League in fielding independent pitching. As good as he was for them last year, he was even better this year. Just absolutely insane numbers. Ridiculous. Mm. He's almost unhittable. It's just crazy to what he's able to do. All right, my number three uh, has been mentioned. It's an Astro pitcher, and it's Justin Verlander. And, uh, for everything we just said earlier, 300 Ks for him at his age, remarkable. Impressive. Uh, my number two, we're going Dodgers. Cody Bellinger, 305 average, 47 homers, 115 RBI, and uh, with Christian Yelich getting hurt toward the end of the year, uh, Bellinger's pretty strong candidate for MVP on the National League sure side. Sure is especially as good a year as the Dodgers had. So Cody Bellinger, my number two. Is he the best non-trout player in baseball? Right there. Yeah, I can't come up with anybody right, better. Right there. He and Yelich. Yeah. Bregman had a good year. So that's the thing that puts Mike Trout up there is that he's been doing this stuff for eight years, right. and all the other guys have done it once or twice in their careers. Cody Bellinger, also my number two, though. Make it three for three. Love him. <laughs> I love everything about his game. Bellinger, too. Complete, absolutely. Um, All right, my number one, Austin had him at three. This is where I've got Garrett Cole. All right, you guys have both mentioned my number one. This is the uh, other member of that Astros rotation, Justin Verlander. Led all of baseball with a whip of .803. And I line up with Nate. I have Cole here. Who wins the Cy Young between those two? That could be one of the closest ballots ever. And the tough part is, is, I mean, they pitch for the same team, so you feel like they would split votes. I, I think Garrett Cole does. ERA is a little better, a few more strikeouts. I'm going to say Garrett Cole. I, I but would too, but by just a fraction. Four. Yeah, very close. Should we tw- uh, run a Twitter poll this thing tonight, boys? We, we could be- do Cole, Verlander, and who's our third one? Bellinger. Bellinger, Bellinger yeah. yeah. And then they could leave a, a, a thing for a, other. other. And just, you know, uh, best player in the playoffs that started tonight or something like that. See what kind of results we get on that Twitter poll. There you go. Sure. Was it still 3-1 going to the fifth? That's correct. Wow. Brew crew yeah. trying to stay alive. How many more gr- games does Lane Grindle have in his vocal cords? He, he will be with us tomorrow night on the program, so we'll see – how fired up he is. Well, how did how does your sports nightly crew, how do they do with baseball? Are they good at it? The, do they know this sport very well? Because we laid our picks on the line back in March. We'll see how we fared. 
Uh, when we come back, callers into our show can also dial us up as part of our Sports Highly Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. We'll tell you about our picks next. All right, Sports Nightly crew, we had a show in March right before opening day. We said, all right, let, let's, lay, let, let's lay it on the line. Let's see who we can pick for this thing. Uh, we didn't have yours. You've got yours, though, Nate. I do. Uh, Austin has the full scorecard back there. So let's start in the National League. Let's start with the East because we have an East team playing tonight. Who are our picks in the NL East? All right, so Greg, Brett, and I all went with Atlanta. Oh, ho. Turned ding, out to ding. be true. And then, let's see here, Ben went with the Nationals and Josh chose the Phillies. Okay. I went with the Phillies as well, so I feel great shame. They were the pick with Harper and that offseason move. They felt like with Arietta and Nola, they had enough pitching to be the mm-hmm. team. Yep, but in the end, just didn't have enough. Not far off. Not, not horrible. No, but didn't get in the wild card either. So. No, they didn't. All right, so... Three of us got it right. Okay, how about in the uh, NL Central? The Brewers are playing here tonight. All right, on to the Central. Two people picked it correctly. That would be you, Greg, and Josh. You guys picked the Cardinals. Uh, Ben and I went with the Cubs and Brett with the Brewers. I went with the Cubs. I I, I thought the Brewers were decent. I thought the Cards were decent, but I thought the Cubs' talent would win out, and I was horrifically mistaken. Okay, uh, can can we just skip the NLS because I'm I'm embarrassed <laughs> in my pick, but go ahead. Most people will be on this one. Josh and I picked the Dodgers. We were right in that. Greg, you uh, you Ben and Brett all went with the Rockies. Oof, oof. I'm I'm just I'm I'm embarrassed. Oof. You probably went the Dodgers. I did. Yeah. All yeah. Right. They're pretty good. Okay, that's not bad though. We we had winners in every division. Right. All right, so tomorrow night we have the, the Oakland A's out of the West in the wild card game. Who did we all have in the West? I bet we got this all right. I think so. We did not, actually. What? Hmm. All of us, except for Josh, went with the Astros. Josh went with the Mariners. Oof. My goodness. Ooh, and Josh's ship sank about May 15th. <laughs> yeah, that thing was done early. Yeah. Arg. Oh. <laughs> I, I had the stress. I feel pretty good about that one. Okay, let's go east because Tampa Bay playing tomorrow night. Who did we – I know I got this one wrong. Uh, maybe I didn't. No, Greg, you got it right. You picked the Yankees, as yeah. did Ben, Josh, and myself. Brett went with the Red Sox. I was in the same boat as Brett. And they were the defending world champions. Yeah, you felt like they could put another year together. You know, the Yankees didn't do a whole lot in the offseason. But, boy, the Red Sox, there was something messed up there. Chemistry was bad Yeah, on it was. that team for whatever reason. All right, so the final division, the AL Central. Start pounding your chest, Greg. You got this one right. Ah. Went with the Twins. Ben, Josh, Brett, and myself all went with the Cleveland Indians. And I followed them off the cliff. I The Royals? <laughs> no, the Indians. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't audacious enough to pick the Royals to win the Central. Now, Champions of life. Did we did we select wild cards? We did. We did go with wild cards, indeed. All right. Give us the, the grade card on that. All right. So, Greg, you, Ben, and I all went with the Red Sox and the A's. Half right. Got right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Josh went with the Red Sox and the Astros, while Brett went with the Yankees and the Angels. Okay. And I went Yankees-Tampa. 
You got one right. Yeah. So you love that at AL East. I, I do. Okay. Or I didn't like the rest of the American League, right. which is probably more accurate. <laughs> How about in the Nash, the senior circuit? All right, uh, Greg, you had the Brewers against the Dodgers. Half right on that one. Ben went Phillies Brewers, also half right. Josh said Cubs and Diamondbacks. Uh, Brett went with Cardinals Dodgers, and I said Brewers Phillies like Ben did. I went crew cards. NL Central. Did you get one? Yeah, I got one, and the other team was a playoff team, so it wasn't I, crazy. Guys, I got like seven right. Yeah. Woo! That's not bad. That's, That's not bad. That's pretty darn good. The only thing was the embarrassing National League West pick. But I felt like I had to do something kind of out there, although the Twins pick was out there a little bit. Yeah, the Twins pick was a good bet. I mean, nobody in the American League Central I, did what, anything. What I just felt like, and I remember having this conversation on the air when we did this, that the Indians did nothing in the offseason. It no. was almost like they didn't want to win, that they were ready to go to the next phase, which baffled me. They had enough guys back that I didn't know why they didn't want to make one more charge. And I, I asked somebody who's a big Indians fan, and they go, it doesn't matter. We can't win to the World Series with this current team, so let's just mail it in and rebuild again. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me why you would want to do that. And, and yet, isn't that the mentality in baseball these days that – it's not good enough to be an 85-win team. It's not good enough to be the third best division champion to where you're, you know, you know, you're not hosting in the first round of the division series. Teams are going, if we can't win the World Series, it's not worth it to be good, which is bad for the sport. It sure is. Because you get in the tournament, as some people will call it, you got a chance. Stuff happens. I mean, you look at that 2014 Royals team, and, and it didn't feel like they had a whole lot of business getting past that wild card game. They hardly got through the wild yeah. card game. We're lucky in some ways. Yeah, it, but they found a way through that, and then they got hot, and then they couldn't lose. And, and don't you want to give yourself as many chances as possible to to get hot and to get in the playoffs and – and have a chance to sniff it, you would think. It's, it's disturbing, I think. The trend that ba- – and baseball needs to figure out why that they've – why has this happened? Yeah, why, why is the incentive so high to not try? Right. Because at least half the league was not trying this year, was not making every single effort that they could make to win. They weren't necessarily throwing games, but – but you just felt like there were so many teams that were just dead weight that said on opening day, you know what, we're not going to be any good. We're not going to contend. So we're just going to trot out there 162 times because we're on the schedule, because we have to to pick up the revenue sharing check, and that's it. We were talking before the show in the back that it was almost 50-50. 50% of the teams really were going to make a run, and 50% of the teams were just going, we got no chance. We're not even, we're not even, and it might, that may be high on the teams that are trying to go for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you feel like a team like the Diamondbacks, who was still a part of the wild card race with about a month to go, but they trade away Zach Granke. I mean, it, it's almost not even a good enough incentive to get into the wild card right. game anymore. Right. I mean, teams are saying if we can't win our division, and if we don't feel like we've got a great chance to get through, the two rounds of playoffs to the World Series, it's not worth it. Crazy stuff. All right, that was fun. Well, yeah. folks, you should be proud of your sports only crew. We were we kind of know what we're talking about a little bit there. Let's head to the phones. Jameson and Council Bluff. Hello, Jameson. How are you? 
Doing great, doing good. Uh, one quick comment, I heard top ten, and just a quick question. My Braves won 14 in a row, division title, during that span. Oh, it was 14, okay. Yep, yep. And hopefully they're having research and doing, you know, having their nice long work that you group they got down there in Atlanta <clears throat> going on this year. And they're good. Here's going on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you guys are talking about the, the situation in baseball. I see a lot of teams looking at what the Astros did, the Cubs did, what the Braves have done, the teardown to struggle for three or four years and be able to rebuild about, about back up. The major strain is the main reason why a lot of teams are doing it nowadays, honestly, you know, where the Astros are the first one, they stare down to the studs, you know, and rebuild back up. The Cubs did it, and the Braves did it as well for three years. I pay him, but he get the glory of what the Braves done last year in division titles when I so. I think it's one major um, reason why a lot of baseball teams are being that way nowadays, honestly, with that situation. Major League Baseball, which, of course, in God's uh, has and has not situation. So <clears throat> it's good, but also bad as well, to be honest, in baseball, which, you know, we'll see strong baseball with through all teams through Major League Baseball instead of just, you know, a few really good ones and a lot of bad ones. Right. A lot of nicer there. And it's a little quick coming to the Husker game, which unfortunately went bad for us. And you guys might have touched it on Monday. But why did Coach Frost never call Adrian Martinez and put him like an old bedroom um, McCaffrey there in the second half, honestly, Greg? That part did not get at all yeah. during the game. Yeah, and James, I appreciate it. We, we talked, ben and I talked about this quite a bit last night. And I, I'll be honest with you, I even kind of wondered. Not, not that Adrian's not still the guy, but just – did you want to crush his confidence the rest of the game? Just get him out and say, we'll save you for next week. And, and let Noah get some snaps in that second half or whatever. But then Scott Frost made the comment that he goes, I really wanted our offense to get something going so that they took a little bit of something away from the game. So I, I see both sides of that, really. And you think about Scott Frost's experience. His lowest low as the Husker quarterback was when Tom Osborne trotted out Frankie London. Frankie London led Nebraska on a scoring drive. Scott Frost comes back out for the next series, and he gets booed. Yeah. So so you have to wonder how much that plays into his experience, understanding how important Adrian Martinez is to the future of this program and, by extension, his future. And, and like you said, you want to have something you can build on and something you can feel good about in that offensive group you wanted to score. Nebraska yes. hasn't been shut out since 1996. Right. You wanted to at least put something on the board, and the best chance you had to do that was with Adrian Martinez. Haven't been shut out at home since 68. Since Last that K-State happened. game. Yeah, the balloons are still sitting in the stadium. Jamison's right, though. People are trying to follow the Astros' model that, that they completely tanked for all those years and built it back up. But not everybody can do that. It's not going to work that way for everybody. That's my issue with it. Well, part of it is you're, you're putting your faith in draft picks. And, hey, those top five picks pan out often. But there are plenty of times, especially in baseball, where they don't. That's right. Where, where you miss. I mean, the, the hit rate on – a top five draft pick in Major League Baseball compared to the NFL or the NBA is far less in Major League Baseball. So you're going to put your fans through a laborious, horrible year, two years, three years to get guys who may or may not be good, who may or may not be successful ball players. Right. 
that's a lot to ask of your fan base because if you miss on those guys, it's not three or four bad years. It's seven or eight. I mean, that's you start to lose a whole generation of fans. All right, great show tonight. Thanks to Nate, to uh, Brett, to Austin, all of you for listening. Big, huge show tomorrow night with all kinds of things, including a couple of reports from Ben from Chicago. Be safe out there with all the rain around eastern Nebraska. We'll talk to you again tomorrow night. Good night.